Wonderful. Good morning, everybody. So great to see you. A big welcome to all of those who are with us for the first time that we've said a big hello to already. We're so glad you're here. And we start a brand new series this week called Revealing the Glory of God. And this is a tagline that's taken from our vision as a church. Our vision as a church is to reveal the glory of God to the southwest and beyond. We believe God has given us a heart to be a resource church to other places right across the Southwest. We believe that in the next 10 years, we could see 100 church plants taking place across the Southwest. We believe we can see communities come alive with the transformational power of the gospel. And I don't just mean churches um, started in those places. I mean the power and the presence of God changing entire communities for the gospel of Jesus Christ, transforming the business world, transforming education, transforming mental health issues among all ages, but young people in particular, just dealing with all the image issues that there are in society. I believe God wants to do something precious and special, and he's called us to be a part of that. So our vision is to reveal the glory of God to the Southwest and beyond, but this theme over these next five weeks is revealing the glory of God. And what a strange word to be using, um, the revealing the glory of God. I keep trying to get my, my phone keeps forgetting my thumbprint. It's quite scary, isn't it? It's saying, no, no, it's not your phone. No, I'm not letting you in. I'm not, and I use that for the timer. So um, thankfully it's worked. So my thumbprint has obviously miraculously come back in vogue with my phone. But it's so good this morning to explore the glory of God together. Habakkuk 2, verse 14. Look at this with me, will you? might be a verse that you've quoted, and it says this. For as the waters fill the sea. Anybody been to the beach this summer? Anybody ventured into the water? Please can you confirm that the sea was wet. There was water in there. And there's quite a lot of it, isn't there? If you see an aerial view of the world, if you look from space, uh, and you see, if you look on Google Maps, you see that a lot of the earth is covered in water. And it says, For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. As sure as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled. It's quite a powerful word there, isn't it? Filled. Because doesn't it feel like Christianity has been squeezed to the margins of society? Doesn't it feel like it's really unfashionable to say you belong to a church? Doesn't it feel like Christianity is something that society says it's moved on from? And yet there's this promise here that just as sure and just as profoundly as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. And I want to ask a question this morning of what is this term, glory of God, because it's used a lot in the Bible, and it's a word that maybe doesn't have a lot of um, use in our culture, although I'm sure quite a number of us last night stayed up a little bit longer. Well, I say stayed up a little longer, it shows my age, doesn't it? So it started at nine o'clock last night uh, to watch the tennis. Anybody see the celebration of this new British tennis star? What a fantastic, let's give her a round of applause, shall we? What an amazing achievement. 18 years of age, 
ranked over 300 before the tournament began, had to go through the qualifying stages and ended up winning the US Open last night. What an incredible accomplishment. And she certainly received, and in the weeks and the months and the years ahead, she will be receiving the glory of that accomplishment. There'll be all sorts of offers put her way. Fame will come her way. There'll be all sorts of trappings around her life as the glory of that moment becomes something that is real for her. But we don't really use the word glory that much. Maybe we might say that if um, someone didn't do a job very well, they didn't surround themselves with much glory, they didn't clothe themselves with much glory, that there was a sense that they let them down, that they let the company down, they, they, they let um, their strengths down, they didn't demonstrate themselves fully, and as a result of that, they didn't um, sort of crown themselves or cover themselves in glory in that job. Others might be accused of chasing after glory, chasing after something that is uh, almost like this promise to them that if they get it, then everything will be great. Glory has often been displayed in opulence, extravagance. For example, the royalty around the world of various nations will maybe live in luxurious palaces, they will drive in luxurious gold-laden carriages flanked by powerful armies. And there will be something of what surrounds them, their royalty, what surrounds them is the glory of their empire or the glory of their kingdom or the glory of their position and their royalty. If you go for a meal at Buckingham Palace, I'm pretty sure um, mom wouldn't say, is beans on toast okay today? I'm pretty sure there would be something of an opulence that would be provided for the meal that would demonstrate the best foods and the best drink. And it would be an extension, an appropriate extension of the position and the royalty to which you are sitting in the presence of them. It's likely that if you encounter a king or a queen around the world, that you will not just meet the person, but you'll meet the glory in some way. You'll experience something of what surrounds their life that will be a part of that experience as well. And the Bible says quite a lot about God's glory, about the things that surround God. In fact, the word glory is used just in the Old Testament alone 148 times. And of those 148 times, there are two different meanings that the word will have. The first meaning when we read the word glory in the Old Testament is praise, in praise of God. Glory to God in the highest. We read in Jeremiah 13, 16, give glory to the Lord your God. That we are called to represent and give of our best to him. Now, if you, and I'm, and I'm sure the queen's grandchildren um, might think, what do you buy someone who has everything? What do you buy someone who has no need? They're not thinking, oh, if only I could, if only I could buy a new PS4, if I, I'll save up a bit and I'll afford it. What do you buy someone who has access to so much money and is able to go and get anything that they want to access, what sort of gift do you give them? And the question could be same, it could be the same in terms of God. 
How do we give glory to God who has everything? Surrounding God, the greatness, the majesty, the might, the awe, the wonder, the magnificence of God. What do we give to him? How can we give glory to God in the highest? And I want to just encourage us that the Scriptures exhort us to give everything to God. You know, it brings God great pleasure and great joy when we bring our best to Him, when we give Him our hearts and our lives, when He has everything that there is about us. We've not come this morning to a God who is looking reluctantly at unwrapping our worship and thinking, am I going to enjoy this this morning? God, whenever our hearts are crying out and saying, glory to God in the highest, whenever the church decides, whenever the people of God decide that they're going to give of themselves to reflect the glory and the goodness and the majesty and the might of God and honor Him in all their ways, it brings great joy and great pleasure. And God is delighted to receive that gift. Aren't you glad we have a God who is delighted to receive our gifts this morning. What a great blessing that is. And so often people say, bless me, bless me, bless me, God. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. What a great blessing that is. But what doesn't the Bible say it is more blessed to give than it is to receive? Isn't it wonderful that God, when he has everything, he needs nothing. There's nothing we can add into his life. And yet he delights in our praise. He delights in us bringing our gifts of adoration before Him. He delights in that. And of course, that's not just a Sunday thing. God's not thinking all week, oh, I can't wait till Sunday because the church are going to glorify me. The church are going to bring me their gifts of worship. If that's how it is, then I think God will want to challenge and provoke our hearts that worship is a 24-7 thing in our life, that we can't give God everything on a Sunday unless we give Him everything every other time of the week. And so glory... Is partly praise. But there's another description of glory, and that is that it's the substance of God. It's what surrounds him. It's who he is. It's the, the magnificence of all the sum of his parts. Somebody once described glory as like the heavy weight of God. It's all of his might, all of his power, all of his strength, all of his goodness, all of his love, all of his kindness, all of his faithfulness, just poured in together, and that is his glory. Now, there have been times in church history when there have been times of great manifestation of the presence of God in gatherings. I was sharing with the worship team on Thursday that if you went back to the early 1990s, there was a a controversial move of God around the world. I say it was controversial because some people just were freaked out by it because it um, had some strange signs and some strange manifestations, which incidentally have happened throughout history whenever God has showed up in a way that has done something um, unusual in terms of his heavyweight arriving. But back in the 90s, there was something that became known as the Toronto Blessing. Anybody hear the Toronto Blessing? Toronto Blessing was a period of time 
started, it was called the Toronto Blessing because it started in a church, a vineyard church in Toronto, Toronto Airport Church. And it was a time when there just seemed to be this heavy weight of God that landed upon this church. And it felt like the people who went there, and there were people who went from all over the world, millions of people arrived at this place over the period of the next few years. And when they went there, they took something of the heavyweight glory of God back to where they were. So churches today, like Holy Trinity Brompton in London at the time, well, it was led by um, Nicky Gumbel's predecessor, Sandy Miller. Sandy Miller went across to Toronto and brought something back. And there was a, a great move of God. People used to travel to that prim and proper church in London and experience the heavyweight of God where the manifestation of the presence of God was so powerful, so profound, that people's vision of Jesus became bigger than it ever had been previously. So there were some signs. There were unusual things. For example, people laughed. Wow. Gosh, God, give them some of that this morning, would you? People laughed uncontrollably. It wasn't because anybody was saying anything funny. It was because there was an outpouring of God's joy. Part of that aspect of his character and his ways, part of that heavyweight of his presence became present among his people. And there was an overflow of joy. And people laughed. Some people wept. And in the tears... There were years of pain that was being healed as Dr. Jesus turned up with his healing, liberating glory. There were people who physically got healed of amazing testimonies of cancers shriveling up and dying, of people getting out of wheelchairs and walking. There were people that had such joy, they would roll around the floor in this service with thousands of other people. And people would say, what are they doing? And they just rejoicing in the joy of the glory of God. You see, that the Bible says, don't be drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. And I've seen some people do some pretty crazy things when they're drunk on wine. And when you're filled with the Spirit, sometimes there are manifestations of that. Amen. Amen. But the reality is that there are times when God is heavyweight presses down. And it's not to give us a moment. It's to reveal something of him so that we can reveal something of him. And God is calling for his church to be filled with his glory, with his heavyweight power, with his presence, with his might and his majesty. In the New Testament church, we read that the church did a few things because the weight of the glory and the presence of God of the resurrected Jesus, present by the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on Pentecost, was so powerful among them, it uses these words, and the community was filled with awe. Yes. Awe. Come on. Come on. Today you only have to tell a good joke and someone says, oh, that's awesome. No, it's not. It's just a funny joke. Oh, you're a legend, you are. No, you're not a legend. I, I, I used to remember legends were formed over thousands of years of stories of great exploits around the world. And we've watered down some words. But awe, awe is the best word that we can find in our English language that describes what happens when the heavyweight of God shows up. Yes. When the heavyweight presence of God decides to meet with his people and manifest himself. And it's the substance of God, the weight, the power, the manifestation of his kingdom. And we see throughout the Old and New Testaments, 
there are references and descriptions of this substance of God, substance of the glory of God. We see that when God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, that there was a physical sign and a representation of God's presence and glory among them. In the daytime, there was a pillar of cloud, and at night, there was a pillar of fire. And as soon as this cloud moved, everyone had to pack down their tents and follow. They made a decision as a community that they were going to follow the glory of God. They were going to walk where he walked. They were going to do what he did because he was their supplier, their provider, their protector, their hope, their joy, their life, their liberator, their wonder among them. In fact, Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to leave this place. The priority is not being in a nice church environment and having nice worship songs and having good decoration and a great kids program and a great youth program. It's not, are the seats comfortable? It's not, do we like the friendliness of the church? The reality is, is the glory of God present? And if it's not, move. If God's not present, then find where he is. Because you don't want to hang around a graveyard. You want to be around a place of resurrection and life and hope and joy. And where God is, there's life. There are too many Christians that, now we go through difficult times and I look around the room and I know a lot of your circumstances. I know a lot of the pain and the difficulties that many of you are going through. But in the midst of that, Jesus brings life. It doesn't call us to deny our struggles and our difficulties. But we don't gather as some social group to commiserate and lick each other's wounds. We gather to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And if Jesus isn't present by his glory, if his heavyweight is not among us, let's pack up. And let's go where somewhere where he is. And our prayer is not that the glory of God would fill, rediscover. Our prayer is the glory of God would fill, rediscover and every other church across the Southwest. That His glory would be present in His people once again. Because there's too much religion. There's too many people going through the motions. There's too many people putting their Sunday best on and not putting their daily glory to God in the highest in their life. And there's a heavy weight to God. And we read another time during this period of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness before they go into the promised land. And we see God's glory as Moses met with God on the mountain. Let's look at it together. It's in Exodus 24 verses 15 onwards. It says, Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. You know, there are times, if I can just pick up a point of this, it's not in my notes, but there are too many times we leave after day one and we miss what God's got for us. There are, I think there are Christians all over the world who say, who are disappointed that God doesn't work, that have stepped away from his presence before there's a time of revelation and time of manifestation. You know, there are times we've looked at in the last series about wearing garments of patience and there, and there are garments of persistence 
You know, and the reality I mentioned about suffering and difficulty, Scripture says that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. But there's a journey. And sometimes we've got to press through. I was listening to a worship song the other day, and it was recorded live at a conference, and the, the theme of the song was, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not leaving here until, you, until we encounter you, until we meet with you afresh. And I can imagine, I, I'm, I'm sure that conference didn't fall into this category, but I can imagine that song being sung in conferences around the world, and then suddenly nine o'clock comes and we pack up and we go home because we've got something on Netflix that we want to watch. That there's a convenience to our seeking God that doesn't go beyond day one. It doesn't go beyond convenience. It doesn't go beyond our programs. And I like programs. I'm strategic in my thinking. I, I love organization. I love there to be things in place that are thought through and planned through. But if God said, I want you to just hang around a bit longer, if that meant that I could press into something new in God, would I take it? And I hope I would say yes. And Moses, the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain. And it says, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. There's no imagery that captures God well enough in the scripture. In our English language, there's nothing that represents the fullness of his glory. We get little snippets. We see John in the Isle of Patmos getting the revelation. He says, I see one um, brighter than the sun. John would have been familiar with the Mediterranean sun rising each day in that glorious location. And yet the image that he saw of the Son of God was of one who was even greater than the rise and the brilliance of the sun. Because our language has a problem. And all the time, that's the challenge around some of these topics and some of the preaching of God's word is that we're often trying to put things in boxes that make sense to us. And in doing so, we condense God down into nice packages and nice formulas and programs. And you know what God does when we make a box? He doesn't live in it. He doesn't live in that. He either wants to break out or he moves on. And we see the glory of the Lord like a consuming fire. What a powerful image. We see these wildfires spreading around the world and the glory of God like a consuming fire. I'm not sure if I want to be a part of that. I'm not quite sure if I want that fire to be so close to me. And actually, there's something very wise about that caution. Because we go on a little bit later and we see Moses asking God if he could see his glory. Exodus 33, verse 18 says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But 
He said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. What a peculiar story. God, show me your glory. What a great prayer. But you see, the finite nature of our minds compared to the infinite nature of God. You imagine taking all the learning in the world that's ever happened throughout history and amalgamating that into one moment. Imagine taking everything that's good and magnificent and amalgamating that into one moment. You think about adding together all of the testimonies of the saints of God through the generations about the goodness, the faithfulness, the healing, the kindness, the love, the grace, the mercy of God, and culminating that into a moment. See, even if we did that, that would be a pretty massive moment, but God is even bigger than that. Science is not opposed to God in any way whatsoever. Well, some scientists may be, but science and God are not incompatible. In fact, God, the Bible says, knows all things. Science has just scratched the surface of what God knows. That's it. If, you're a, if you have multiple PhDs, then what you have learnt is like the kindergarten version of what God knows. It's probably even lower than that. It's probably like learning the first words of your vocabulary. Because his ways are not just higher than our ways. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Where am I going with this? Well, the reality is that the church is meant to be filled with the glory of God. And we reduce and redact down to something that makes sense to us. Something that is just an additional blessing in our lives. And he's so much bigger. It's no wonder that Moses could not see his face and live because of the vastness of God. And just in case you think it's just an Old Testament concept, you go to the New Testament. In Luke 2, we read the announcement of the birth of Jesus. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Because there was something way beyond their experience. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. The glory of God is so much bigger than one aspect of our lives. And I believe the church of Jesus Christ is not called just to be good social workers in our society. We are called to roll our sleeves up and to get involved in the practicalities of the needs of this broken, devastated, fallen world. 
And if there's been a while since you've rolled your sleeves up, I encourage you to find the cufflinks on your sleeve and roll them up and find ways of engaging the needs of society. But we're not called to just be social workers. We're not called just to be good family together and get on with each other and love each other and encourage each other. Though if it's been a while since you've encouraged someone, if it's been a while since you've been encouraged, then in the next few weeks we're going to talk about ways that you can get into relationships that will help you do that. But the church is meant to be the demonstration of God's glory on earth. Just a few months ago, I read a book that a friend of mine has recently written. I'll get him here one Sunday, do an interview about the book. But it tells the story from just over 100 years ago of the foundation of we're a part of the Elim churches in the UK. There's around 600 around the UK, and there are many sort of more expressions of it around the world. And it started about 107 years ago. And it started out with signs and wonders. You know, when this church started in um, 1927, I think it was, that there was a, a man called George Jeffries who just had a hunger for the glory of God in his life. And he booked out a theater in the city. And it was quite a big theater. And people were quite opposed to him coming. And particularly some other churches were opposed to him coming because it just didn't fit their boxes, didn't fit their understanding. And Pentecost experience, the, the Pentecostal revival, the Azusa Street revival, if you've never read around that and read around it, the, the Welsh revival, the 1904 revival, if you've never round, read around those things, read around them, because these things happened. These things transformed the church. And the power and the presence and the glory of God was such that what this founder, George Jeffries, would do is God would lead him to go into a place and to hire a theater or hire a venue, and, and they would just get a few people come usually on the first night. But then the glory of God would show up. Not, it wasn't the preacher. It wasn't like this man is eloquent. This guy has got lots of interesting things to say. It was the power and the presence of God turned up, and people got healed. Yes. Miracles would happen. Stories would take place that would cause society to think, what is going on? You see, when the heavyweight of God comes, it causes people to say, what's going on? On the day of Pentecost, the heavyweight of God came upon these disciples who'd been in the upper room praying. And we see, as the heavyweight comes, people say, what are these people doing? And of course, they stand up and say, we're not drunk, as you suppose. We want to tell you about the power of God. And I believe that God is looking for his church and his people to not just share love, not just to share goodness, not just to share hope, but to share the glory of God, to reveal it to this world. Over my life, God has revealed different things at different times in my life. I remember as a child sat around the campfire when I was eight years of age and someone told me about the love of God and it felt like the heavy weight of God came among me and revealed something of God's love and I responded to give my life to him. Best decision I've ever made in my life. I remember the various times in my life where God has revealed different aspects of his character to a new level. And the reality is of our lives that God is constantly leading us into new depths of his, of his goodness and his greatness. 
Because the infinite nature of him means that we've never experienced everything of him. But some people have got stuck. They've got stuck in limited revelation. If I paint a picture of the church like a swimming pool, and you know, when you go to a public swimming bath, there's a shallow end and there's a deep end. And most of the time, it might have changed because it's been a while since I've been to swimming pool. But years ago, when I used to go, I used to find the shallow end was always more popular than the deep end. There was always more people, for some reason, at this end, there were a few who were the confident swimmers, the people who just enjoyed the space, uh, the, the, the ones that were comfortable with the depths of the water. But it felt like a lot of people liked to make sure that their feet could touch the ground. And of course, when we come into the, the pool of God's presence and goodness and greatness, none of us get access through any means of our own. It's only through Jesus. And as we come in, God, in his mercy, saves us. He's the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way to the Father other than through Jesus. But I find that as I've traveled churches, I've been in ministry over 20 years, I found a lot of God's people stick in the shallow end. And they're happy there. Why not? It's great. It's full of life. But I want you to know there's so much more. And the invitation of the Spirit is come deeper. Come deeper. Be transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. Ask the band to come and join me. And Isaiah 55 says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take a choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Jesus, following that up in John 7, stood up and shouted to the crowd and he said, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. We don't don't fall in love with experiences. It's the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. But when the heavy weight of God shows up, it changes us. Can I invite you to bow your heads a moment, please? Such a range of contexts, people in business, people in stages of life that Society might call retirement, but the kingdom doesn't call it that. Freshers just arrived in the city, students returning. And I honestly believe that whatever your day activity involves, that the Spirit is calling you to come deeper. And He wants to invite you into more of Him, to encounter His heavyweight to know his magnificence and in a moment I'm going to invite us to give a request to God but I want you to really think about it before you articulate it because just saying it in this moment won't mean an awful lot unless it really is an expression of something in your heart because It's going to take you repeating this question over the next 
days, weeks, months, years ahead. But the question is, Lord, show me your glory. greatest answer for your marriage is the glory of God His presence the greatest answer for your business is the glory of God the greatest answer for the needs in our community is the glory of God Lord show me your glory I can't share what we haven't got So can I encourage you to stand? And if this feels appropriate to you, if your heart is stirred with a desire to go deeper, why don't you just open your hands, say, show me your glory, Lord. a lot of dry, thirsty people been faithful show us your glory 